So to help guide our thoughts uh, through Advent, we're going to explore the gospel accounts of that first Christmas once again. And for some of us, these passages may feel familiar, maybe even over familiar. But can I encourage you to try to see these passages afresh? Maybe, maybe listen more intently to the detail that's within them. Maybe read them with greater concentration, greater depth. Uh, and we hope that as you do, as we encounter these characters again, we'll see that the first Christmas didn't match people's expectations, um, but in a much more profound way than 2020 isn't matching ours. You see, what we're going to see as we look at these characters and look at the accounts of Mary, of Joseph, of the shepherds and the Magi, as we look at these characters, what we're going to see are the unexpected ways in which things were happening. But even in those unexpected ways, God was doing something remarkable. Indeed, even what was happening uh, brought uncertainty, brought fear, yet God was accomplishing something much greater. He was showing that he was able to work miraculously, that he can do it. He was able to show that he had a plan. He was showing that he had good news to share, and he was showing that he is indeed worthy to be worshipped. And so as we embark on this Advent season, a time of waiting, a time of preparation for what is to come, let's recognise that 2020 might not be what we expected it to be. But in many more profound ways, the first Christmas wasn't what many expected it to be either. Now I understand that you may hear that statement and wonder if it could be true. Could those who lived through the first Christmas not have expected it? And that's a valid question. If you've been around uh, church at Christmas time before, if you've attended a carol service, maybe uh, you may well remember some of the Old Testament verses and passages that are often quoted during those services, which clearly show the detail of the Messiah who would come, clearly show that God had this planned out. Even centuries beforehand, he was making promises as to how this would happen, where this would happen, and the details were there. So it's clear that God had been giving signs. He had been trying to prepare the people for that first Christmas in exactly the way that he had planned it and exactly the way that he explained it to be. But even with all that, it's clear as we read through the accounts of the first Christmas that some people were still surprised by what was happening. And we can figure that out in one way by seeing the number of times throughout these nativity passages that we see the phrase, do not be afraid being spoken to some of these characters and and obviously they were being told not to be afraid because they were actually afraid Uh, and you can only be afraid of something that that takes you by surprise that you weren't expecting Uh, and we'll see that phrase used in today's passage as the angel speaks to Mary Um, but let's look at some of the other places through these nativity passages where we see that exhortation do not be afraid and so in earlier in Luke chapter 1 we see Mary's relative Zachariah being visited by an angel And in verse 13 we read, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Later in Luke 2, the angelic visit to the shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem opens with, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. In Matthew's Gospel, we see Joseph being told, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And in Matthew 2, we see the reigning king of the day, Herod, becoming greatly disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, we're told in in Matthew 2, verse 3. And they're greatly disturbed because of the news of the birth of the new king. And so we see this theme running through that, that the plans that are being enacted through this first Christmas took people by surprise. Things were not happening the way some people expected them to. 
Now I realize that an angelic visit is, is probably going to surprise most people. Uh, and that might be the source of some of the fear that's being talked about here. But in some ways, I, I'm praying that this Christmas, as we engage with these familiar stories contained within these maybe familiar passages, uh, that maybe we would be gripped again, maybe even surprised by the wonder and the majesty and the love and the power and the grace that we see being shown and on display in these passages. And so we're, we're going to begin with, by looking at the encounter uh, with Mary this morning. And so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 26 through to verse 36. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. These are incredible words. And they are, of course, worth our time to read, to meditate on, to to study from, to hear God through. Uh, And for our time this morning, what I would like us to focus on is the change that takes place in Mary. Particularly in what we see from the two times that she speaks in these verses. In a sense, I want to dig in to try to see what causes the change from her declare in verse 34. How can this be? How will this be? To then in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so I want to explore what changes in between those two speeches. And in doing so, we'll think about the significance that that has for us as we prepare to celebrate Christmas once again. Uh, So we're going to look at these verses from Luke chapter 1. And we'll see a brief intro to this young woman. We'll see who Mary is. And then we'll see what Mary asks in verse 34. Before we think about what Mary declares in verse 38. So let's begin by thinking about who Mary is. I wonder if you ever noticed the, the information that's given about Mary and perhaps even the way that it's given. Uh, look with me in verse 26 and we'll work our way through slowly to verse 28. Um, but let's look at this description that's given as to who Mary is. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, well, maybe we should pause there and think about who Elizabeth is. Elizabeth is Mary's relative. And Luke, earlier in chapter 1, has just been filling his readers in on their story. Elizabeth is married to Zechariah, and and even though they're reaching old age, they're promised a baby. And the angel appears to Zechariah, gives him some very specific instructions and information about this baby. He's told what they should call him. He's told the divine purpose that his life will have. 
but but Zachariah struggles to believe the angel. But of course, what was promised then comes to pass and Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And Luke then in verse 26 turns the narrative to focus towards Mary's story. But the similarities between the two are striking. So we have an angelic visit. We have an unlikely pregnancy. We have divine purposes for a baby. We have disbelief initially, which turns to obedience. And of course, we have the fulfillment of what is promised. And so it seems that Luke has been setting the pattern so, so that us as readers can see the reality of what is coming for Mary. And we're, of course, we're introduced to Mary through this lens of Elizabeth and Zachariah. But the description of Mary continues. The rest of verse 26 into verse 27. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Uh, and this seems to be quite a lot of detail to give at this stage. And we haven't yet even found out Mary's name. Luke gives us all of this background information first. And so we're told that she's living in Nazareth, that she's engaged to a man named Joseph, who's a descendant of David. And all of these details are significant. They're all important. We'll, we'll maybe see this more next week as Jack unpacks Joseph's story for us. But for now, we need to recognize that these details that have been given are pointers back to the promises that God has made centuries before about the Messiah who would come. And so the Savior of the world would come. God had made this known to his people and he did so through promises that are now being referenced by Luke here. And so we see that Joseph, a descendant of David, well, that's significant because of the promise in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises David that his kingdom will never end. We see that Mary is a virgin, and that's significant because of Isaiah 7, where we're told that the virgin will give birth, and this is the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. Even Micah 5, we don't know this quite yet, but we see in Micah that the the birthplace of the Messiah will be Bethlehem. And of course, we know from how the narrative works out that Joseph is from Bethlehem. He returns there to the, to the town of David. And so these seemingly throwaway phrases here in verses 26 and 27, they haven't actually told us a huge amount about Mary herself. We don't even know her name yet, but they help us build a picture of what God is doing, of what is about to unfold. And finally, then, at the end of verse 27, we are indeed told the virgin's name was Mary. And then the details of the angelic visit are worked out for us, beginning in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. What an incredible scene. The angel appears to Mary with this wonderful greeting. Mary is highly favoured, the Lord is with her. And this shows us something more about this young woman. This this young lady, she must have been devout, committed in her relationship with God, certainly um, in her religious heritage but but that still doesn't mean that mary was expecting this visit from the angel she wasn't expecting the announcement that was coming let's pick it up again in verse 29 mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be so perhaps she's wondering what she'd done to deserve such words perhaps she was struck with fear wondering if she was about to be taken to meet her lord we we don't know but clearly the the We can imagine the trouble and the wondering that Mary must have been going on, perhaps stunned into silence. The the angel continues to give the message that he was sent to deliver. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Here here we have the news of the coming Messiah, Jesus, who would be born. Uh, And we can see the fulfillment of the promises that we spoke about earlier. This Davidic king whose kingdom will never end. Uh, And the angel's words, they they show the definite and clear plan of how things will come about. It's a great message of, of promise and of hope and of purpose. And so we see the angel say, you will conceive. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign. His kingdom will never end. This is God's plan. This is God's definite plan. This will come to pass. And so this is a great message of promise, of hope, of purpose. But but Mary's response uh, we might find interesting, although I think we also find it totally understandable. She's heard this wonderful promise of God, uh, from God directly, what what will take place. Uh, And she's heard of this wonderful honour that she is to be bestowed with. Uh, But her thoughts seem to be based on the very practical. Uh, And so having heard a little bit about who Mary is, And what's been said to her, verse 34 then leads us to think about what Mary asks. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am still a virgin. The angel has painted an an elaborate, a detailed, a a compelling picture of what is going to happen. But, But for Mary, it seems like it just can't be. There's a very simple reason why all of these wonderful claims of the angels can't come to pass. She's still a virgin. How can she have this baby without having sex? Now, now this is a very specific question that Mary has for her very specific promise. Uh, But in a few moments, I'd like us to consider how it gives us an example of some of the questions that we might ask when we hear these great promises of God too. So we'll think about that in a minute. But for now, let's look at how the angel responds in verse 35 through to verse 37. So Mary asks, how will this be since I'm still a virgin? The angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And and so in response to Mary's how question, the angel lays out exactly how God will achieve this. God will do it. Mary in some ways is right to ask how this incredible plan will come to pass because humanly it doesn't make sense. It looks impossible. But verse 37 shows for no word of God No word from God will ever fail. Or as the ESV states, nothing will be impossible with God. That's the crux of how Mary can be sure that this is going to happen. Because God has said that it will be so. And and this is where I think we see an example for us. Uh, As we often read or, or hear the promises of God and sometimes we wonder, how will this be? For some of us, that's response, that's our response to the story of Christmas. God in human flesh, the king of the universe in a manger as a baby, the angelic visits, the virgin birth. How can this be? Or, or perhaps as a follower of Jesus, 
you hear some of the promises of God for you and you wonder, how can this be? Complete forgiveness from sin, adoption into God's family, the the security of life everlasting with him, the reality that God hears our prayers. How can this be? And in many ways, the answer to these questions that we ask is the same as the answer that is given to Mary. You see, these are big questions and they're often they often don't make sense from our human perspective. How can these things be? But the reality is. God can do it. He has said that it will be so, so it will be so. That's the nature of the God that we serve. He will fulfill his promises. No word from God will ever fail. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so the truth of verse 37 still stands. No word from him will ever fail. Nothing will be impossible with him. That's not some kind of lofty platitude. That is the firm and secure promise of God. He will do what he has said. Things will turn out the way he has said they will turn out. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. God can do it. And and that's true for Mary in this setting. And I want to suggest that's true for us when we hear the promises of God. We can be sure of them because God has made those promises. And God is a God who always follows through. And even in his grace, uh, to help us be completely sure of this, God gives us glimpses of his faithfulness. He gives us glimpses of his activity along the way so that we can keep our eyes fixed on him and on the assurance that he has given in his promises. And he does this with Mary too, through what he's already accomplished in Elizabeth. Did you notice those comforting words from the angel in verse 36 and 37? Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then that wonderful declaration, for nothing, no word from God will ever fail. And so can you see how Mary may have asked how this could be so? And to help her trust in the mighty promise of God, the angel gives her the example of something that God has already done that seemed so unlikely. And so, and so for you, if you're doubting the promises of God, if you're, if you're wavering in in your ability to cling on, to grasp these foundational truths, these pillars that God has given us, then, then let God remind you of his character, of his activity in your life already. Let him, let him remind you of his character as an activity as we see in his word. Let him remind you of how you've seen his faithfulness before. And this Advent season, as we wait, as we prepare, let's fix our eyes on the baby in the manger in Bethlehem. He is God with us, Emmanuel. He is the greatest hope the world has ever, does ever and will ever need. And his name is Jesus. God made this so because no word from him will ever fail. And so we've, we've seen this introduction to this young lady. We've seen who Mary is. We've seen what Mary asks and indeed what that reveals to us about the ability and the power of our God. And now let's finish by thinking about what this means for Mary, uh, how she responds and by extension how we should respond then to the, this word of God this morning. And we'll see this in, by looking at what Mary declares. 
So we've already seen this declaration as we spotted earlier in verse 38 and we considered how she moved from that question in verse 34 of how will this be to then declaring I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me be fulfilled. And so in response to this explanation of the angel that's given in verse 35 to 36, Mary can now be confident. She's confident that this seemingly impossible mission that God has called her to is well within the reach of God's ability well within the reach of God's power. And so she surrenders herself wholeheartedly to what God is calling her to do. And and let's not lose sight of the challenges that Mary is accepting in doing that. This was not going to be an easy path to walk. She had to explain this whole thing to Joseph, although she has given some help in that regard. She may well face public ridicule for becoming pregnant before getting married. She may have understood now, she will certainly come to understand later the loss that she is going to have to experience through what Jesus has to accomplish. Yet regardless of all of this and the countless other emotions that Mary must have been going through, Mary chose to surrender. She chose to surrender to her God. And we can see from response here and and even from her song that follows in verses 46 to 56, that Mary knew that trusting in God's word was going to be the best thing. It was going to be the best thing for her to do. And, and she does this with the understanding that surrendering to God's path, regardless of how ultimately good we know that path will be, surrendering to that path is not always going to be the easy choice. But we must remember that God's plans are indeed always best. And they are always best because they accomplish his purposes. Even if that means hardship and sacrifice for us, his glory, his eternal honour are so much more valuable than anything that we would seek to chase after. And so if you find yourself facing a situation where you know that God's path would, would mean making this decision, even though this decision may be difficult, even though this decision and this opinion might not be popular, Can I encourage you from Mary's response, from Mary's example, that the best thing and indeed the only response that followers of Jesus can make is to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so may we have the faith, may we have the trust, may we have the obedience that Mary has here and follow in her example. Mary's story undoubtedly has so much to teach us and we've only highlighted a couple of things this morning but hopefully you can see that as we prepare for a Christmas that that we couldn't have expected that many of the characters of the first Christmas didn't expect theirs in in many more profound ways either and we've seen today how Mary may not have expected to become the mother of the son of God yet we can see from who she is that she is exactly the person that God had chosen to fulfill that role. Yet we can see from what she asks that, that often God's plans don't quite fit our expectations or don't quite fit our understanding. But ultimately we can be confident that whatever God promises, he can do. And therefore through what Mary declares, we can see that the only and right response to God's message, to God's promise is to submit to his will. Whatever that may cost. Because we know that he is God, he is good, and he is worthy of all the glory that is due to his name. Let's pray together this morning. 
Father God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that we have the freedom to meet even in this virtual way and explore your word together. Thank you that you teach us. Thank you that you shape us. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in the pages of scripture. And God, we thank you this morning for this wonderful encounter uh, and this wonderful example of Mary. And we thank you from these verses that we can see so clearly your plans, your purposes at work. We thank you even from who she is, we can see that you chose her. That your promises that were made centuries before are now coming to pass. And from that example, God, I pray that you would help us to know the truth of the promises that you have made. For us as individuals, for your world even, for the wonder of your salvation that you offer in Jesus. In all of these things, in every word that you have given, we know, we can know that you indeed will bring that to pass. And so we thank you, Father. We thank you even, God, that in the question that Mary asks, we can see that, that, that sometimes we, we don't understand, we can't explain. And yet even as we do, as we ask those questions, you reveal your goodness to us. You reveal your greatness to us, your power, your majesty that goes way beyond our understanding. And therefore, Father, we want to declare, as Mary did, I am the Lord's servant. And so would you use us, Father, those of us who know and trust in your wonderful saving plan. Those of us who are secure in what you've called us to and in the future that you've called us to eternity with you father would, would you help us to lay down those things that are holding us back from following you god we recognize that, that often following your way will mean cost but father we thank you and we praise you that that cost is always worth paying because of who you are because of what you are doing, because of your goodness, your glory. And so we want to live our lives for your purpose. Father, we thank you for this Advent season. Thank you that it is a time of preparation, of, being, of, of expectation, of anticipation, of waiting. And God, I pray that as we continue on this journey, as we see this unexpected Christmas, Father, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts once again to see your goodness, to see the wonder of God with us, Emmanuel. And may we be empowered to live our lives in the way that you would call us to. And it's in your name and for your glory we ask these things. Amen.